Welcome, friends, to episode 32 of the Banish to the Pen podcast, a near-weekly audio adventure from the website Banish to the Pen, a group baseball blog by fans of the podcast, Effectively Wild. I'm your host, Ryan Sullivan, at NatsGM.com on Twitter and the Baron of All Baseball Podcasts. This week, I am happy to welcome back regular contributors and uh, frequent guests of this podcast, Andrew Patrick and Alex Crisafuli. Welcome back to the show, guys. Hey, thanks for having me back. Yeah, always a pleasure. Very, very cool, guys. I'm glad to talk to some baseball with you this week. I'm glad to have you guys back. Um, first place we start every week, let's keep tradition alive. A uh, little introduction to yourself. Maybe somebody missed you when you've been on the show before or what have you, new to the show, what, you know, whatever the case may be. Uh, let's see, who's uh, alphabetical? Let's start with Alex. Alex, uh, kind of introduce yourself, Twitter, where they can find your work, who you're a fan of, all that sure. good stuff. Um. I am Alex Crisofulli. I live and work in Washington, D.C., and I'm a, a big St. Louis Cardinals fan. I, uh, my Twitter handle is AlexCard79, and you can occasionally find my work at Banish to the Pen. I haven't contributed anything um, for a couple weeks, maybe months now, because I, I recently had a son, but hopefully I will have something, um, something in the pipeline soon. Well, congratulations. That's, uh, that's great news. So. Andrew, kind of the same question. Hey, I'm Andrew Patrick. I live about 15 miles south of Oakland. I'm a big Ace fan, which uh, right now means I'm a fan of my uh, fantasy football team. (laughs) I I, uh, work at a video game company uh, near here, and I I write, you know, my goal was to write weekly, but it hasn't been that way due to, uh, you know, the, the doldrums of summer. Uh, but you can find my work at Banish to the Pen. You can find me on Twitter at uh, Zebedee18. And uh, yeah, that's about it. That's very, very cool. So check both of those guys out on Twitter and uh, definitely check out their work online um, at our site. Okay, uh, Andrew, I want to start with you this week, if I can. You kind of gave me a good segue in with uh, talking about how you're an Oakland fan and kind of the doldrums of summer, so to speak. Um talk to me a little bit about Oakland. I, I think we all started the year thinking they were going to be a pretty big contender in, in certainly for the wild card, if not the division, things haven't gone that well. Their run differential says they should be a better team than they are. Just first of all, let's start with what do you think about Oakland? Sure. Uh, so when it comes to the, the team, uh, I mean, this is obviously an extremely disappointing season, but uh I'm still confident that the that the team will be competitive next year. Uh, there's a lot of pieces to still like on this team. Uh, our pitching depth is really, really good. Um, Sonny Gray this year, uh, while he's not as good as his ERA suggests, is uh, a front-of-the-line uh, starting pitcher on any team. Um, and, the, I mean, the AL West this year, it kind of comforts me, you know, when I look at the, the standings in the AL West, seeing that, you know, it, it it's pretty much almost the opposite of what you would expect. Uh, the Mariners are bad. The Angels, the Angels are bad. You know, the Rangers and the Astros are gonna, probably going to make the playoffs. Um, it's just kind of a reminder that uh, you know this is how baseball is. Sometimes you can you know severely under or overperform you know your expected winning percentage. If you go by third order wins, the A's are the second best team in the league still, amazingly, despite the fact that they traded, uh, you know, Zobrist and Clippard and Kazmir. Um, 
but it just gives me hope next year that you know Billy Bean is you know especially with the fact that he's not really going to sit uh, just sit on his heels. He's got enough pieces to make this a contender, and I think we will be contenders again next year. Before we look ahead to the off season and the winter time, what went wrong this year? Help help us for those that don't watch Oakland on a nightly basis, like yourself. Help us out. What happened? Mm-hmm. Sure. The, I mean, the the biggest thing is the bullpen has been a disaster. Uh, Sean Doolittle was hurt for most of the year, and he was kind of an anchor in the pen. Um, while Tyler Clippard was good. Most of the other pieces were bad. Uh, you look at Ryan Cook, who was really good in the last couple of years, has been horrible and was horrible in AAA before getting traded to the Red Sox, who he has not particularly excelled with. Uh, and, you know, Dan Otero, who's actually been really good for us, has been really bad. Uh, Eric O'Flaherty was really bad. It's just, you know, the, the, it was kind of a, a running joke for a long time that the seventh and eighth inning were just like, it, it was just right on cue for a long time. Uh, and when you have the bullpen, the bad bullpen, that's what leads to a lot of the one run, one run losses and the weird expected winning percentage differential. Uh, so that's the easiest thing to, to point out and say that they, that the bullpen was just the worst. Um, but other than that, uh, the, the other things that went wrong were uh, Brett Laurie in the beginning of the season, um, he was just kind of a, uh, an average player. Uh, there were, I think the A's were kind of hoping for him to maybe not replicate Josh Donaldson's uh, success, but give you a little more than he's given. Uh, right now, he's just kind of a – for the most of the season, he was just kind of a 700 OPS, like pretty decent third baseman, but not like – you know, an anchor in the lineup. He's like a traditional number six hitter. And a lot of the defensive metrics actually really don't like him. Hmm. Um, yeah, he like if you look at, at Fangrass right now, he's like minus 9.9 on defense. Uh, they've shifted him over to second. And I think that's probably a better fit uh, for him. Uh, but so he's, uh, he's not been oh, – actually, he's – now that I look at it, I just took a look at the second base. He's actually been pretty bad there this year, too. And that's surprising because um, he's a great athlete. I'm surprised he can't play at least a passable third or second base. Yeah, and he, compared to his recent years, this might be a fluke. This is one of those kind of, you know, things where people will look at advanced metrics and you try to look, you try to wonder if it's a flaw in the stat or, you know, if he's just really having a bad defensive season. But he was really bad at, at you know, at... Uh, second base, uh, third base this year. Um, but other than that, uh, Marcus Simeon, you know, everybody knows that he is really not a shortstop. Um, there's always, there's always these whispers that like maybe he's been getting better ever since they hired Ron Washington, but it's hard to figure out on a month by month basis. It's kind of hard, at least for me to get like advanced fielding statistics on a month by month basis. Uh, He's been, it looks like he's been proving just by the fact that I, I look at his stat page every week. <laughs> um, but he's still probably not a shortstop. And his bat is not good enough to carry him at shortstop. He's, again, like 700 OPS, which is fine if you're a shortstop. But if you're not, you know, he's like our nine hitter and not a very good defender. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if in the offseason they, the A's, try to uh, pick up a shortstop from somebody and then shift semi into third maybe. Um, but he's just kind of awkward. Um, 
especially since the A's picked up Danny Valencia, who's been really, really good. Um, if Semyon can't play short, I'm not sure they have a, a spot for him. Okay, so you gave me the perfect transition. Let's start talking about the offseason. What does Billy Bean do? I mean, he's known as you know a wheeler and dealer, to say the least. This team obviously mm-hmm. is underperformed. What do they do this offseason to try to rebuild or reload? Mm-hmm. So they need, I mean, they need bullpen help and they need a shortstop. Those are the two biggest things. Uh, other than that, they need, you know, they're, they they could really use, you know, so I this is the hard part. I, my gut says they need another right-handed bat. Um, but because Billy Butler, that's the other thing, Billy Butler has been really, really bad, you know, <laughs> for their, as their, as their biggest offseason signing, they hoped he would like, you know, give some like ground ball thump, I guess was, you know, kind of the, what a lot of the stat people were saying, but he's been horrible. He has a, uh, an, you know, he has a 318 on base, 368 slugging. Um, yeah, he's been horrible. So uh, they so they need they they would need another right-handed bat, but Valencia's kind of come along um, and been good. Laurie's been picking it up, um, but uh, I think their their production this year out of left field has been really bad. Uh, another reason this this season has been uh, has been rough is that Coco Crisp has was hurt and has not come back at all. He was like 0 for 30 something when his first day off the DL. Uh, so they really need some production out of left field other than kind of rolling with like this, some sort of concoction of Sam Fold and like Jake Smolinski and Mark Canna. Uh, it, it's not really a recipe for success. Left field is an easy spot to plug for not particularly uh, an expensive price. Uh, I, it'd be nice if they could get somebody uh, that, could, that could provide some thought there. Alex, do you have any questions for Andrew before I kind of throw, move off topic? I actually do have one quick question, um, and it has more to do with last year and kind of the fan base. And I'm just curious, as a whole, how how upset are A's fans looking back at that Samarjo Russell deal? Um, because I, I think the narrative at the time was this is the one year Bean is kind of going all in, like you know he's building this team to win this World Series, and then they lose the play-in game. So are A's fans still kind of stung by that, or have they moved on? No, they're still stuck. <laughs> okay. I think I, yeah, I, you know, I, I've certainly moved on, especially when I look at, you know, how bad Samard has been for the White Sox. I thought we got a good return for him. And I kind of, mm-hmm. you know, there's, the, you'll look at, at a lot of analysts and they'll say maybe the, you know, the, the Lester trade actually saved the A season because they were just one win good enough to make the playoffs. Whereas without Lester, they wouldn't have been. Um, but no, like, yeah, I was hanging out with some guys, and I met a dude who was another Ace fan, and that was like the first thing he launched into was, "Man, I told the, all my friends when we traded Cespedes that was the death of the season." And <laughs> you know, it's I think this and until they until they are good enough to make everybody stop caring about it, I think you know that the Ace fans are still going to care, and they're still going to have the the fire Billy Bean signs out. You know, there's not a lot of those, but you get a right. you know a lot of the casual fans have them, and then. Uh, so we either need like a run to the ALCS or a new stadium before we put this behind us. <laughs> nice. Uh, f- final question I have for you is uh, Billy Bean seems to do one move at least every offseason that just kind of is a stunner or a shocker. Predict which move or give me a prediction of a move that he makes this offseason that will surprise us. Um, 
I mean, I think people would say it's he's going to trade Sonny Gray, uh, but I don't think he will. Um, I don't I'll, unless again somebody were to really bowl him over with an with a shortstop, maybe like if if uh, uh, if you know the Rastros were to offer Carlos Correa, which I obviously know it's not going to happen. Uh, but I don't. I think outside of something like that, they're not going to trade Gray. Um, but it's it's hard to find a, a single spot where you, where you can look at um, and say they they really you know they could use a big upgrade. Um, I'm guessing maybe they will. Uh, they might go after um, maybe like a right fielder. Maybe I I, I bet they'll flip Reddick in the off season and try to replace him with a better right fielder somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of the of the outfielders that will be on the market. Um, is Jason Hayward a, a free agent this year? He is. he is. Maybe they'll sign Jason Jason Hayward. It would be very uncharacteristic of the A's to spend that kind of money, um, especially since they're they're paying off Billy Butler. But if they can find a, su- a suitor for him, um, I could see them, you know, trying to make a big a big jump in, you know, in right field. Um, it, it, you know, I think that that, that that that's closer to the kind of move they make where the where people would look and say like, but they already have Reddick, who's fine. Why did they trade Reddick and go after this? And Bean will kind of make his usual like value is value. It doesn't matter uh, where it comes from, kind of deal. Um, but I bet if they if they were to that they'll either make a big free agent signing or make a trade for a corner outfielder uh, that's on the market. All right, remember it here. Cespedes goes back to Oakland. Oh, that would be so. Good. Calling it like right that. now. <laughs> Calling it right but, now. His year has been a bit too bonkers. I think he's probably priced himself out. <laughs> probably true, but it would shock us all if he went back to Oakland. So, yeah. uh, Alex, I want to tag you back in if I can now. Um, let's talk about the Cardinals, maybe even the most polar opposite team of Oakland this season. Uh, people saw Wainwright go down earlier in the year. They've had a ton of injuries, and yet they sit with by far the best record in baseball uh, at the present moment. What's gone right for the Cardinals this year? How is this going on? Yeah, it, it's weird, right? Because, you know, you, you look at all the injuries you have, and if you think, like, say, Wainwright and Holiday have been with it, say those injuries never happened, it's hard to imagine they're much better than 86 and 48, right? So It's amazing. Yeah, I, to be frank, I don't know how, how, how they've been able to do this. I mean, they, they're blessed to have a very deep pitching staff, Um Jaime Garcia has certainly been way better than anyone expected. And by way better, I mean just the very fact that he pitched a single pitch in the major leagues was better than most <laughs> Cardinal fans were expecting of him. Um, and he's not only done that, but he's been, he's been fantastic. He's, he's been so good. If, if, say, for some reason we were to slip somehow into that wild card spot, I would probably want him starting in that game. He's been that good. The... Um, I really wish I had a good answer here. I just don't. I mean, you know, Ben Lindbergh wrote that really good column about a month ago in Grantland kind of just talking about the Cardinals' run prevention and how there really isn't much rhyme or reason to it and that, you know, sometimes you just have to chalk up, you have to chalk it up to cluster luck or whatever he called it, you know, kind of similar to what they did in 2013 when they batted, um, you know, 330 with runners in scoring position. Um, that, you know, that's not going to be sustainable, you know, for, you know, 
moving forward for the next couple of years. But if you can do that for a complete season somehow, that's fantastic. And and that's kind of what they're doing. Well, Um, well, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it doesn't seem like they have anybody that's dramatically overproducing their skill level. No. um, Piscotty, you know, Piscotty's been really good, but, you know, he wasn't even supposed to be up producing with the team at all. You know, we weren't supposed to have room for him in the outfield. Um, Matt Carpenter started off, you may have remembered, just on a crazy start, but that that really cooled off probably at the end of May. Um, Colton Wong has come back down to earth since the All-Star break. Johnny Peralta's in a bit of a slump. Um, so yeah, you, you're exactly right. There's no one there's no one hitting the cover off the ball that we weren't expecting to, you know, to not do so. Yadier Molina's having a pretty much what we expected of him as a guy who's getting older and has a lot of mileage on his knees. You know, he's not, I, I'm going to say his OPS is below 700. So you're absolutely right. They, they just continue. It's all about the run prevention and their bullpen has been fantastic in spite of the fact that they've had major injuries to their bullpen as well. Jordan Walden hasn't pitched since April and I don't think Matt Belisle has pitched since probably June or so. And they were both key components before they went down. So I don't know if we just give pitching coach Derek Lilliquist a key to the city after this year <laughs> um, or what, but they're doing something that's working, and I hope it keeps working for the rest of the season and throughout the playoffs. Uh, next question i got to ask you is... Actually, and, and oh. if I can interrupt real quick, the, I think one key difference that, that should be mentioned is the fact that Jason Hayward's been fantastic, and he replaced, he came in at right field at a position where we got very poor production last year out of Alan Craig and um, Oscar Tavares, you know, rest in peace. But so, so I think that's, that's worth noting that he's been great at a spot where last year we were not great, but yeah, other than that, it's very, it's very hard to explain. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, that's great. Uh, and, And on the flip side, Atlanta's done very well on their end, getting Shelby Miller. He's been great for them as well. Yeah, he has. And I'm really happy for him. Um, you know, he was, he was one of our, he was one of my favorite pitchers, a guy I'd been following for a really long time, and I was hoping he would do well in Atlanta. Um, you know, I still don't think he's gotten that, you know, elusive pitching win, um, <laughs> which even goes further to show, you know, he hasn't had a pitching win since like May or something, I believe, if that's still intact, which further goes to show you how stupid that stat is. But um, yeah, I'm really happy that he's doing well. Well, then, uh, the next question I want to ask you is about uh, is it Mike Matheny? I always get the name wrong for some reason. Yes. I, have, I have a brain lock on his first name um here in dc we have a lot of criticism for matt williams Uh, yes i feel like that in st louis matheny gets some of the same grief if that's the right word even though this team is is so good kind of tell me about the fan base and and your thoughts on mike matheny so if i could really give a simplistic take on the mike matheny situation i would say on one side you have people saying hey, he's been in the playoffs every year. Anyone who says he's not a good manager is a moron. The other side is people pretty much saying, no, I watch his in-game strategy. He (laughs) is a moron. He's not a good manager. Um, There was an, uh, I I could think of a million examples of just things that he does throughout games that really makes you scratch your head. He the most notable recent one was when he batted for Carlos Martinez, um, or he had Carlos Martinez bat in the seventh inning. We were down one run. We had a man on first and third and no outs, and um, <laughs> Carlos Martinez promptly struck out 
I think Matt Trubard actually wrote an article about it for Baseball Prospectus, which was it was really good. Um, but to answer your question, I actually fall somewhere in the middle. I do not think he is a very good in-game manager, um, and I'm always weary of him, especially when it comes down to a five-game playoff series or a seven-game playoff series. I just do not think he has what it takes sometimes to to be that manager. And an example I would give would be La Russa in 2011. He was yanking our starting pitcher often in the third or fourth inning in the NLCS when you know the wheels had not fallen off yet. But he knew, like, hey, this is this is not a time to you know mess around. You have to win these games. I don't think Matheny has that ability to yank John Lackey in the third inning in a do or die game, even if it's clear, like, say, John Lackey, and I'm just using him as an example, just doesn't have it. The flip side of that is, and I will admit up front, this could sound really, really stupid, but I'm going to say it anyway. There is a narrative around Matheny that he is, and go ahead and roll your eyes, I don't blame you, that he is a great leader of men. And I actually think, listening to the players talk, there might be something to that. Like, I really think the players enjoy playing for him and that he, they really do buy into whatever it is he's selling behind uh, clubhouse walls and I think I'm and you know I don't think this would be a shock to anyone but it wouldn't surprise me if he's a more enjoyable guy to play for than La Russa and that might that might rub off on them in terms of you know staying loose for every game you know trying to win every game until the last out so when it comes to Matheny I fall somewhere in the middle I don't want him fired but I do want him to get better Okay, that makes sense. Uh, Andrew, I'm going to throw it to you. Uh, you have any questions for Alex? Yeah, I was just going to say that it's probably just that Matheny knows how to tell the burn the boat story, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I mean, the, the thing that, that strikes me is, like, at the deadline, the Cardinals made these, like, little additions of Broxton, Ciszek, and Moss. Yeah. And amazingly... All three of them have been phenomenal <laughs> since arriving. Moss has an yeah, OPS shock. close to 900. <laughs> C-Check has an 064 ERA. <laughs> Broxton's been great. Um, I mean, do you like? Were you at the deadline hoping they would they would do anything bigger? Are you happy with what they did? Like, do you, you know, do you think that you know is this the the evidence that the that that there is some sort of secret sauce that's helping these guys or? Looking back at the deadline, the big issue with the Cardinals was definitely first base because Matt Adams has been hurt since May, and Mark Reynolds is just not an everyday player at this point. Um, you know, bless him because he seems like a great teammate, but I really disliked watching him play every day. It, it just wasn't a fun experience. So I was, you know, a lot of people were hoping maybe there'd be a big splash at first base. The problem with that is I don't know who necessarily that would have been um when they made the moss trade i was actually a little bummed and still sort of am i mean i'm 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 just gonna wait to see how it plays out just because we gave up rob kaminsky who is a very promising prospect i think he was at double a right now and i you know i haven't seen kaminsky pitch this is all based on what i've read about him but a lot of people are saying he had the potential to be you know, a, f a future maybe number three starter. And I thought that was a lot to give up for a player like Brandon Moss for only having him for a year and a half, and especially a Brandon Moss who was performing quite poorly for the Indians at the time. Um, now, as you mentioned, 
the last two weeks he's been fantastic. And when I think about what I said earlier that I was getting really tired of watching Mark Reynolds play every other day, play every day, you know, it really is nice having Moss in there. You know, we they were having Piscotty play a little bit of first base at Memphis before he came up, but the fact that he hasn't played there much since he has been called up makes me think that maybe that didn't go quite as well as they had hoped, or maybe they just didn't feel like he got enough reps there to handle it at the MLB level. I don't know. Um, so I'm pretty honest in the fact that when it comes to the deadline and, and these deals, I, I try to err on the side of whatever Mazalik does because I myself, and I can admit this, I would be a horrible GM. You know, I, I can think of plenty of moves the Cardinals have made in the past where I was like, that's a terrible move, and then you know, it turns out to be a fantastic move. I'll try to think of one um, if I can. So, you know, I wasn't wild about any of the moves, but at the same time, I, I'm still at the point where I completely trust Mazalik that, that they were the right move at the right time. Mm. Does that answer your question? No, it, it definitely does. Uh, yeah. Any, uh, anything else, Andrew? Because I've got one more for Alex, if, uh, if not... It's it's so boring, but I'll just say that somebody asked me at work who I have to win the World Series, and I said the Cardinals, and I was so disappointed with myself. Good for <laughs> you, man. Hey, hey, I that's a good pick. I I wish I had that confidence. I'm one of those fans who we could be up ten games with ten games to go, and I'm still nervous about winning the division. So, and that was the perfect lead-in because that's that was my final question. Where do the Cardinals finish this year? In in the NL Central or overall? Well, let's, let's start with okay. the NL Central and keep working your way until they sure. run out, so, so to I speak. So I think the first time I was on this podcast, I predicted that they would win 91 games and win the NL Central, and I predicted that the Pirates and Cubs would be right behind them. I think that's going to bear fruit, only just add 10 wins to every single team's win total <laughs> that I initially thought was going to happen at the beginning of the season. When it comes to the playoffs, I, I mean, I really don't know. I, I've really conditioned myself that I enjoy the regular season for what it is. If, if we were to lose in the first round, say if we were to lose in the NLDS, there are so many great moments through this season that I would look back on it quite fondly, um, just because it's such a different ball game once the playoffs start. And couple that with the fact that I don't know if the, even though we're, like I said, 86 and 48, I don't know if teams fear us like they would perhaps fear facing the Dodgers in a five-game series or a seven-game series and having to go against Greenkey and Kershaw possibly four times. I don't know if people feel that way about the Cardinals in terms of like, oh, no, we got to face Lance Lynn. You know, I don't think many people are saying that, even though Lance Lynn is a fantastic pitcher. So, you know, I, I feel like I would be very silly to say this team is not going is, is not likely going to make the World Series because they have been so consistent. I think they, I don't have it in front of me, but they, they had a one four-game losing streak and they've had two three-game losing streaks and that's it. You know, the rest of the time, if you look, it seems like every 10 games they're winning six out of 10 or seven of 10 and they just keep plodding along. Even while other teams are winning, they just keep winning a little bit more. So I would be silly, I think, to not predict that they can keep that going through onto the World Series. And you know what? Screw it. They're going to win the World Series. All right. There we go. Put them on the table. I like it. Very nice. They're going to win them all. That's all I'm going to say. 
All right, so the Cardinals are winning the World Series. All right, who are they beating in the World Series? How about that? <sighs> That's They're going to beat the Blue Jays in the World Series. Right. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> An all-birds, so to speak, World Series. I like it. There you go. Okay, guys, uh, you mentioned off-air uh, you wanted to talk some Nationals. So Absolutely. I, I think this might be an opportunity for us to kind of flip the roles here a little bit. Uh, maybe you guys want to host and ask the questions, and I'll try to answer them. Um. Yeah, I'll, you mind if I jump in here real quick, Andrew? Go for it. Yeah, so, you know, as you know, I live in D.C., and I go to my fair share of Nats games. Um, I haven't really been to one since they went into this slide and the Mets over, overtook them for first place, and now I think they're looking about five games up at the Mets. Um, how's your psyche? What's your psyche like as a fan when you kind of just feel like the wheels are coming off and you don't feel like it's going to correct itself? It's tough. If that's how, if that's how you feel, it's tough because you know a large part of me is a fan, and then the other part of me looks at the game like a I don't know scout, evaluator, whatever you want to call it. So it, it's tough. You know, the fan wants to just start blaming everybody, blame Matt Williams, blame Mike Rizzo, blame the players, blame you know the ownership, blame the stadium, blame you know this and that and our bad luck. So it's and then you try to sit back and actually look at it like a you know a smart fan or or a little more you know, less emotional and you look at the team and they've had a lot of injuries. And unfortunately, unlike, you know, some of these teams like the Cardinals, your team, uh, they haven't been able to overcome them. You know, the, the loss of Rendon and the loss of span and the loss of, you know, I can just go on and, and name the players. I mean, Zimmerman for 70 games or whatever it was, they, they didn't build a team that could overcome these injuries. And for whatever reason, you know, Matt Williams hasn't been able to really light a fire under these guys and get them going. It feels like maybe just in the last 10 days that you're seeing a little bit more of it, but it's tough. There's a lot of there's a lot of negativity. There's a lot of lackadaisical play. There's a lot of guys underachieving. And besides Harper and, and maybe Scherzer to a lesser degree, not a lot of guys are really playing to the back of their baseball card. And, and when that happens and you have injuries, it's... You know, you're looking at a team that's probably going to go about 500 unless something really changes, and they should win about 93 to 94 games. Right. Uh, let me ask you something. So the, you know, when I look at the team, I see like uh, that. You know, playoffs may not be in there, but Bryce Harper has obviously been phenomenal. Uh, if I were to, if I, if if before the season, and hope, hopefully I can phrase this correctly, if before the season the baseball genie were to come to you and say, you have a choice. You can either make the playoffs again, and Bryce Harper can continue to be kind of this, you know, pretty good guy, or you can sacrifice the playoffs this year, and Bryce Harper will finally break out and, and be hopefully a superstar going forward. Which would you have taken? Um, I, I'm all about winning. I, I don't care. That's It's all about rings. It's all about championships. I have so much respect for what Atlanta did in the mid-90s to the 2000s of winning 15 consecutive division titles. I mean, that to me is just exceptional. And Alex kind of mentioned it, I think, a little earlier. You know, I've gotten used to enjoying the regular season. And I would take the playoffs every time. That said, uh, I am so lucky and happy as a fan and whatever I want to be, you know, a smart fan watching Bryce Harper play every day. I mean, it's a real treat. I'm sure it's the way... Uh, Angels fans feel about Trout and Orioles fans to a lesser degree probably feel about Machado. I mean, it's he's an exceptional talent. He's probably the most talented baseball player I've ever seen, at least up close, so to speak, on a daily basis. Maybe Bonds 
you know, a little bit, you know, a decade ago or so. But it's exceptional to watch what he's doing and to know that he's going to be in D.C. for at least three more years and hopefully another 13 years. It, it's, it makes putting on the, on the games every night when they have been playing so poorly, it makes it almost worthwhile. It's like, it's like watching Jordan with the Wizards. You knew the Wizards were horrible, but you still got to watch Michael Jordan every night. It was bizarre, but it was and, and not a perfect apples to apples, but it still made watching that medio- mediocrity worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I have another question about Harper. I was watching the game the other night. I from watching the game, I thought he exchanged words with Matt Williams, and that was why they sat him down and that maybe they made up the story about the gluteus or whatever they said he hurt as the reason for why they sat him. Is and but I, I haven't really paid much attention to that. Is there any credence to that or am I just making that up? I don't know. It, it really okay. depends on how screwed up you think the clubhouse is. Um, and, and I say that, you know, somewhat tongue in cheek, but with some honesty, I, if you, if you're kind of the negative guy that thinks Matt Williams has lost the, the clubhouse, so to speak, and, and the players, which there's a large segment of the fan base that thinks that then maybe there is something to that. I mean, it wouldn't be the first time he sat down Harper and Harper did not run that fly ball pop out at, out at all. I mean, he did not, but, if you look at the replay, it definitely looks like he's grimacing and like when you pull something or when something's really tight, like all of us kind of getting out of bed in the morning. So right. I, I tend to lean a little bit more towards it being overblown, so to speak, or, or just that what happened was what happened. But I don't think Matt Williams and Bryce Harper get along, and I and I don't think I'm breaking news by saying that. So I, I can't completely dismiss what you say, I guess is the way I'm trying to say it. Okay, I was just curious. It was very hard to tell from watching the game. Because there have been times when he's gotten thrown out and Matt Williams really hadn't come out there as quickly as I thought to try to step in. There have been times where Harper has been injured. I, th- I can remember two or three weeks ago where he fouled a ball off his foot, left the game, and Williams never came out. So I, I do think there's something to be said for I don't think that Harper and Williams are best buddies. And I don't think Williams appreciates how good Harper is if he doesn't have Harper he gets fired two months ago and and I and I don't think that he appreciates that he's by far the best player on the team right do you think Williams gets fired at the end of the season uh assuming we don't make the playoffs yes and and I think it comes down the ownership says to Mike Rizzo either you go or he goes and and I think that Rizzo will stay in self-preservation mode but uh ownership is mad I can't really blame them they put 165 million dollar payroll on the table about $30 million more than they wanted to, and they got talked into Scherzer at the end of the offseason saying, hey, this is going to guarantee us playoff revenue, and this is going to take us to the World Series. And you look up, and what are we, three games over five hundred right now, and it's September 5th? I mean, I think somebody has to fall. And there's plenty of blame to go around. I think Mike Rizzo has done a tremendous job of shielding himself from building a rather incomplete roster for $160 million in some ways, and... I think his hire of Matt Williams is probably the biggest black mark on his resume at this point. And yeah, I think somebody's going to fall if they don't make the playoffs. Ryan, first, you guys are actually four games over 500. You're at 69 and 65. So it's not quite World as serious as you think it is. Um, <laughs> Five games se- back, I think. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, one more question about Harper. Um, just curious if, you could predict how many home runs and hits Harper will retire with. What would it be? Wow. That's a great question. Um, 
Because the dude is just so young. He's so young, and and you really think unless something happens, he's going to hit 30 home runs a year for the next five, at least you know seven to ten years. Mm-hmm. Without really, that's not saying much. I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'll give him the 500 club. I'll say 500 right on the nose. And hits? The home runs. That's what I'm okay. going gonna to put him at 500 home runs. I, I think, like that. I think he'll have a great peak. We're kind of already seeing it, and I do think that maybe in his 33, 34 kind of age, you see him with a decline because of injuries and just the way he plays. Although I'm assuming by then there's going to be a DH in both leagues, and you can stash guys like that too. So, yeah, you know, it could be more than that. Thinking about because he could hit or play first base for the next, you know, however long. All right, all right. And no, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. That that can be the <laughs> that's. Uh, <laughs> I think they're going to end up falling a couple games short. Although I do think they're going to make the Mets really shake the last week, and with that series, I think it's in DC the last few games of the year. So. The last three are actually at City Field. Oh, okay, that's right. Yeah, I have it next week. There, that's DC. right. I missed. I flip flopped them. So, but no, those games. That'd are gonna be, be nice because. Oh, I was just gonna say that it, it's it'd be nice because it seems like the the way the playoffs are shaking out, they're very surprising. But maybe a rather uneventful last couple of weeks of the season. Uh, it looks like everything's shaking out, kind of. Uh, you know, the teams that are there might just stay there. Yeah, I think I saw a tweet this morning or last night that the Nationals and the NL East is the closest race, division race going on right now, which was stunning to me when it's five, you know, I think it's five games now. Yeah, yeah. unless you although think the that Twins can't be, are going to make the wild card or that, the Giants That tweet can't thinking. be right because I think New, New York's closer to Toronto than that now that I'm thinking about it. But nevertheless, anyways, um, you want to transition, guys? Transition off the Nats? Sure. think this is a good time? Sure. All right, I want to bring up uh, maybe it's the biggest topic in baseball that isn't going on on the baseball field, and I, I, I want to tread very lightly with this subject. But I, I would be—I think we'd be a bunch of chickens if we didn't bring it up. Uh, Kurt Schilling. Um, I think it was Monday. I, I don't know. All these days blend together at this point. But send out a—I uh, I think a poor taste tweet would would maybe be a fair way to cra- uh, characterize it. If anybody wants to learn what we're talking about, if you don't know, go find it on online i don't think i even want to go there myself um espn decided to kind of suspend him for a game then they hire or then uh, i believe her name is jessica mendoza jumped in did a great job now it looks like she's going to be in for the rest of the year um uh, maybe i just give put it uh, put it this way your thoughts on the whole situation um i i don't know who wants to start maybe and maybe andrew we've started with alex a couple times sure uh so yeah, Kurt Schilling, I mean, he – I think it kind of shows the um, – that as, a, as, a, as somebody in the public eye, you have to hold yourself to a higher standard. Uh, and that, you know, I think that – I think that his intentions uh, behind what he tweeted out were not entirely malicious. I think he just saw – probably just saw, an, an, you know, an, an image that you – know, you know, and then he uh, – on first glance, he, you know, it made sense to him. So he hit the retweet button. And then, you know, a minute later, after seeing his phone blow up, he deleted it. And uh, he probably didn't think about it, uh, which is the main thing. I don't think there was, you know, that that uh, this wasn't some planned, you know, uh, you know, statement. Um, and I think everybody, 
um, you either know somebody or you are somebody like that at times. Everybody, you know, you know, will occasionally say something that that doesn't come out right or or whatever. And I'm not trying to say that that Kurt Schilling is, you know, uh, that this is his one mistake. There's a lot of evidence saying that he does this a lot, but. Just as a, as somebody in the in the public eye, you have to realize that everything you do, especially on social media, is going to be intensely scrutinized. And uh, you, I think you, as being a, a somebody that's on TV, you, uh, I think you, at this point in in the way our society is going, you kind of sacrifice that that uh, that ability to chalk you know to chalk it up to you know oops, and that you have to uh, so meticulously uh, you know. Uh, I guess, uh, you know, craft your public image that, uh, you know, that, that, that doing things like, like just retweeting out random images is just a, a luxury you can't really afford anymore. Andrew, I think that's a great take. A great, just great take right there. Alex, kind of same, just give you the floor. Yeah, um, I, I pretty much agree with Andrew. I, I'm going to be a little more harsh on Schilling in that. So he, he retweeted out this meme and... In my opinion, when it comes to memes, if you're trying to make a serious point and you do that by tweeting out a meme, you are going to fail 99.99% of the time. Um, That's a good point, too. Correct. Well said. It, it was a really dumb thing that he sent out. He, I mean, it, it I don't even know where to go with Schilling at times because I don't think he's a stupid guy at all. I I know some people are really harsh on him in the booth. Um, I I have a pretty high tolerance for announcers, even the known really bad ones. So he he's never really bothered me all that much. But he obviously has this sort of lack of self control where he often engages um, in these I think ways that to put it nicely, could be described as jackassery. <laughs> um, and kind of to Andrew's point, ESPN has clearly shown that they have set a precedent that they don't tolerate people doing things like that. Um, you know, they suspended Keith Law for way less um, than what Schilling did. And um, so I, I was not – I would prefer to live in a world where we get to see people at their worst – um, and not necessarily get suspended for it. But since ESPN has clearly shown that, that they don't tolerate this, I think he absolutely deserved to be suspended by ESPN. I think the reason why he's off for the rest of the season is, again, his lack of self-control, that he just could not let it die, and he had to get in that kind of email war with, awful, with the guy from Awful Announcing, the uh, sports blog, which is and, also never yeah, going to yeah, work out on your 99% of the time. Trying to defend yourself to awful announcing is probably not going to work out either. To your <laughs> absolutely. Point. That was going to be my next point. And I, most people would know that. But Schilling, who lacks this, you know, whatever modicum of what, whether you want to, some people would probably call it common decency. Um, I would just call it, he just has this rapid fire um, way of just kind of acting like a jerk. Um, in the public eye, and as Andrew said, when you have a, as a high-profile job as ESPN, um, you're going to pay for it. And you know, I almost feel bad saying he's kind of acting like a jerk. I mean, I, I think I, I don't want to get into it too much, but I personally think like what he tweeted out was pretty gross and stupid, and I don't want to get into it too much. But 
I feel like I'm being kind by just saying he was kind of acting like a jerk. Um, well, and, that, and I want to, if I can jump in here, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I, I was no, saying fine. to you guys off air, you know, I saw Schilling at Sabre Seminar not, I think it was less than 48 hours prior to this tweet and, and everything kind of blowing up. And he blew me away with his candor, with his intelligence, with how well-spoken he was. Uh, I think I've gotten a certain you know, maybe caricature of what I expected him to be, you know, watching the game, you know, watching him on Sunday night baseball and watching him in his career. And he gave a half an hour Q and a, and I've got to tell you, it was probably the best presentation of that weekend. He was incredibly well-spoken, well thought out. Uh, he said three or four things that completely blew my mind during this talk. And uh, it's just very interesting to go from, I had one opinion of the man. It couldn't have been more elevated after seeing him speak and then it couldn't have been more shot down or whatever the word choice I'm trying to find 48 hours later it's just amazing to me to see somebody in one-on-one not one-on-one but in a group setting where he was so smart and then to see him acting so bit dumb and I hate using that you know to say to describe somebody like that but just acting so dumb the next week is just mind-blowing to me yeah I think that is kind of the paradox that is Kurt Schilling I've always found him to be pretty engaging guy I remember seeing him interview, I I saw him interview Theo Epstein on television earlier this year when the Chris Bryant controversy was blowing up about Bryant being sent back to Iowa, you know, for a couple weeks, you know, the dog and pony show before you can call him up. And he did a great job of grilling Theo Epstein on that issue without being over the top, without sounding like Skip Bayless or kind of being in the hot take territory. He just did a really good job. Um, so yeah, but he, there's just this other side of Kurt Schilling that, that continues to engage in just this ridiculous behavior and the fact that he hasn't learned that this is going to get him smacked down every single time makes me really question his judgment at times. And you guys have both alluded to it, but this isn't the first time he's made a mistake. No, in the public eye saying things that are probably inappropriate is the nice way to put it you i think we would all be a little more forgiving so to speak if this was his first screw up i mean everybody deserves a second chance everybody deserves to learn from a mistake so to speak but when you do it multiple times i think people start to wonder if this isn't just who you are but then i go back to it gosh i just sat you know 10 feet from him for a half hour and was completely blown away with the guy i think it's like you said, the paradox is a perfect word for it. It's just stunning to me. So, so I think, you know, each of you have kind of gotten at something that's interesting to me. And, and Alex, you, you kind of said that, you know, when he's on the, in the booth, he tries to keep it very, you know, conversational and colloquial. And he, and he takes a, a tone, you know, that, that and I, I really like it at times. You know, sometimes he'll say like, you know, curveball low and outside coming here. And then it will. And then he'll explain why. And it, it, sometimes it's really good. Um, but then... You know, there, there's a time and place for the conversational, you know, and then, but then you have to switch to the, I'm speaking in front of a lot of people. And Ryan, you said he, he knows how to do that. He knows how to give a presentation in front of a bunch of people. Like he could have gone to Sabre Seminar and started saying, well, I think stats are stupid and blah, 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 blah. And it obviously would have gone over very poorly, but he, he clearly knows how to uh, tailor a talk towards that specific group of people that's going to be well-received. Um, I mean the first but comment. I, just this- I mean the first comment he made in the whole presentation was uh, he boiled down pitching to I wanted to throw a strike when the batter wasn't swinging and I want to throw a ball when I knew he was. Mm. And just thinking about that sentence boils down 
a lot of pitching. Yeah. So, so I think it just, for some reason it's, it's social media is where he makes the mistake in that social media should be treated more like the talk in front of a, a bunch of people instead of you, you know, uh, having a beer with some friends. Uh, but he treats social media like it's the having a beer with two of his best friends when he, when it should be the talking to millions of people. A hundred percent agreed. And, and that's kind of his problem because if, if he wants to engage in these nuanced arguments, Twitter is his biggest enemy. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe he doesn't. Maybe, maybe his opinion on these matters aren't worth more than 140 characters or a meme. Um, and that's also, you know, not going to fare him very well. But I, I think he's not – I just don't feel like he has the capacity – and I don't mean that he's dumb. He's, I don't think he's dumb at all. I, I, I echo your sentiments, Ryan, without having seen him speak. But I do think he lacks the capacity to understand this is not, you know, whatever point you're trying to make, you're not going to make that point on Twitter. And it was a bad point to begin with. It was a horrible point to begin with, which made it all the worse. Well, and what you can get away with, and Andrew kind of alluded to it, what you can get away with in a locker room setting or with a beer with your with your good friends is not what you can get away with in the public specter of Twitter or television, for that matter. Right. So. Uh, yeah, like, like, like if I'm meeting with somebody and they say something, you know, that's racially charged or whatever, I'm not going to, like, scream out to the bar, hey, everybody, look at this guy. Uh, but uh, if, if it's Twitter, like, <laughs> people will because you don't know everyone. Very true. Uh, final question I have for the kind of this topic to wrap it up is: Does Schilling get back in the booth in 2016, or is he done with, you know, being an on-air personality at ESPN? Um, I think it's. Go ahead. I think it's possible, but it depends on if he lays low for a while. Like controversies, you know, where where your public image is tarnished are not unbeatable. You know, like Harold Reynolds got back in the MLB Network after getting dismissed from ESPN. It took a few years. And that's years a crying and, shame at that, but yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, ticked it as he will. But you have to kind of play your cards right. Maybe if he, you know, if he comes out and admits it, you know, and, and apologizes and then lays low for a while, he can do it. It's just whether he will or will not back down from this. Alex, same question. Yeah, um... In if I had my say, and if the world went according to my rules, he would not lose his job for this. Um, but also, if the world went according to my rules, he wouldn't have tweeted that out in the first place um, because it was stupid. Um, but I don't think we're going to see him on ESPN again. Uh, I'm going to think he's done. I'm hedging my bets. I think he's done on Sunday Night Baseball. I, I also think some of that's just because I think they want to give this this. A young lady sounds, you know, pejorative. I think they want to give her a chance because she's another unique voice. And I, but I do think Schilling maybe picks up the Wednesday night broadcast or mm. maybe takes over the Oral Hershiser role where you see him once in a while covering a game. But I think he's done from being, you know, one of the three headed monster on Sunday night baseball and that, uh, the show, you know, baseball tonight at seven o'clock, which is, you know, probably their biggest show of the week. So I think he's probably done from there. I think that's a good 
you're probably right. That's that's a good way to hedge it, and I could see that's how I could definitely see a company like ESPN playing it that way. And then everybody wins. You know, he gets more than a slap on the wrist, but he still doesn't lose his job. They give uh, another, you know, broadcaster an opportunity. Maybe she runs with it. If not, you know, they can replace her at the end of the year with somebody new, and maybe everybody wins. Mm-hmm. Uh, except for the people that were offended by the tweet in the first place, which everybody loses with that. So, um, guys, we're uh, kind of bumping up on the uh, hour mark, so uh, I-, I think we're going to have to cut it here. Unfortunately, I had a couple more topics I wanted to get to, but uh, we'll save them for another time. So, I guess we'll kind of uh, wrap up the show the way we begin it. Um, let me give you a spot to plug your work, plug yourself on Twitter, where they can find. Uh, Basically, anything you want to share. So, um, once again, let's start with, uh, let's go alphabetical. We'll start with Alex. Um, kind of say goodbye. Uh, yeah. Um, thanks again for having me, Ryan. This was a lot of fun. You can find me on Twitter at AlexCard79. Um, like I said, my work has not been at Banish to the Pen for probably a month now, but you should still go to the Banish to the Pen every day because there is good stuff up there all the time. I read it every day. I enjoy it every day, and there's a ton of people doing really good work there. So find good work at Banish of the Pen. Well said. Andrew, say goodbye. <laughs> Same thing. Just, uh, yeah, go to Banish of the Pen. Uh, other than that, you know, you can find me on Twitter mostly complaining about the A's uh, <laughs> in the Effectively Wild Facebook group. I think I'm killing it in the 2015 debut draft. Um, I, I think I'm running away with this one personally. Nice. Uh, but... <laughs> Uh, other than that, yeah, just check out Banish to the Pen, and uh, you know, I'll see you guys online. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on, guys. Congratulations to you both. Uh, I know Alex has had a uh, child since uh, I think you've been on the show, and uh, Andrew, I know you have some good news as well coming your way. So congratulations to you both. Uh, thanks for coming on, and I look forward to having you back on the show and certainly reading your work at Banish to the Pen. Thanks, Ryan. It was a pleasure. Yeah, thanks, guys. And that was episode 32 of the Banish to the Pen podcast with Alex Chrisafuli and Andrew Patrick. I want to thank both of those guys for uh, joining me again, being such terrific guests and being great contributors to the, uh, to the website Banish to the Pen. Uh, I also want to quickly thank, if I can, just everybody that contributes at Banish to the Pen, the writers, contributors, the people behind the scenes, editors. Goodness, we have so many people working on a daily basis to keep this blog going, publish something every day, and I'm really proud of the work that we do, both here on the podcast, obviously, and uh, on the site. So uh, as Alex and Andrew both mentioned, uh, go there, check out the work every day. We're really, we have a lot of talented people doing a lot of hard work, and not everybody gets the pat on the back they deserve. So congratulations, guys. Great work. I am your host, Ryan Sullivan, at NatsGM.com on Twitter, reminding you, be nice to your fellow listeners.